Well, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 10, if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, one of the statements that we make around here regularly, and I probably should say continuously, is the statement that goes something like this. Every believer needs to be a belonger. Now, if you've been around here any amount of time, you've heard that several times, made that statement, made from the pulpit here, every believer needs to be a belonger. And the reason we say that is because every believer needs to be a belonger. And what we mean by that is this, once we become saved, every saved person needs a church home. Every saved person needs to have a place, a church that they call home. Now, we make that statement for several reasons. You see, belonging to a church does several things for us. First of all, number one, we need to belong to a church for the purpose, number one, of identity. The purpose of identity. You see, just as a military uniform identifies a person as a soldier... And just as maybe a badge would identify a person with, uh, as being a law enforcement official, and just as maybe wearing a white coat with a stethoscope around your neck would identify one as being in the medical field, then church mem membership identifies us as being a child of God, a believer, a born-again child of God. Now, joining a church doesn't make you a Christian, but being a member of a church identifies you as being a Christian. Can I say that one more time? Just becoming a member of a church does not make you right with God. You know, a lot of people put the cart before the horse, so they run up and they join a church, and they say, man, I'm glad everything's okay now between me and God. But joining a church does not make you a child of God. It just identifies you as being a child of God. So we need to be a member of a church, number one, because of identity. Number two, we need to be a member of a church, not only because of identity, but because of maturity. You see, when you and I come into God's family, we come into God's family as like, as like a newborn child. In fact, the Bible identifies us as being, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, as being a newborn babe in Christ. And then, of course, God's plan is not for us to stay a baby, but God's plan is for us to begin the process of maturing as a child of God. Well, being a member of the church places you in an environment that is conducive for spiritual growth. God's plan is for you and me to grow, 2 Peter 3.18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we come into God's family, we're a baby. It's okay to act like a baby. But there's a real problem when you've been saved for 25 years and you're still acting like a baby in the family of God. We need to grow up and to become mature in the body of Christ. And the church is the place of God's birthing room that come, then becomes the place of God's nursery that then becomes a place of God's uh, uh, cultivation for spiritual growth. We need a church because of identity. We need a church because of maturity. Then number three, joining a church also uh, is a place, of uh, a place of ministry. You see, when we get saved by the grace of God, God gives every one of us a spiritual gift. And God then gives us a place to use that spiritual gift 
relationship to become a blessing to others. And that place is the church. God didn't give you a spiritual gift so you could just enjoy that on your own. God gave you a spiritual gift so you could be a minister and a ministry to others. So God gave us a church as a place of ministry. Everybody in here, somebody said, oh, that's our minister right there. Well, I get that. You know, sometimes preachers are called ministers. But also, guess what? You're a minister as well. And you ought to use your gift inside of the local church in a form of ministry to help others out. And then number four, being a member of a church places you in a place of authority. You see, everybody, and I'm not tooting my own horn here because I ain't much of one. I'll say that right up front. But every believer needs to be under the authority of a pastor. They need to be under the leadership of a pastor. That's the reason we read this over in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself. Now stop. That's not talking about government there. Of course, there is in a real sense that we need to obey our government until our government steps out of line. You and I are to obey our government. But when we read this verse here, I think it becomes clear he's not talking about the president or the vice president or a congressman or a senator. He's talking about the pastor because it goes on to say this, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself for they watch over your soul. Hold it. Joe Biden's not watching over my soul this morning. Koala Harris is not watching over my soul this morning. I am to obey them that have the rule and submit myself to them. They're watching over my soul. Who does that? That's your pastor. Your pastor stands up and preaches the word of God. And by so doing, he's trying to build a wall around your soul and a wall around your life to keep that which is detrimental and harmful you from getting to you. And the Bible said we obey them and we submit to them because they must give an account uh, that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable to for you. You know, every, every believer needs to have a pastor in their life. Can I tell you something? A person that's like, that is a believer uh, that doesn't have a pastor is like a, sh a sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. Now, get this. I want you to understand this. I'm not the Lord over you, but I'm just your pastor, and I love you, and I want to try to help you along in the journey of life. And you need a, an authority in your life. You find that in the church. But then also, number five, uh, everybody needs a church home for a place of accountability, a place of a, all God's people need accountability. We need to have somebody in our life that holds us accountable for doing what is right and doing the will of God <coughs> for our life. So a person without a church home is like a person that does have, has no accountability whatsoever. <clears throat> That's the reason if you become a little lax in your church attendance, somebody over here is probably going to call you. That's accountability. We want to keep you accountable. We want to help you to stay faithful so <clears throat> your life can stay in a place of blessing so God can put his blessings upon your life. We need a church home. <clears throat> That's the reason we say every believer needs to be a belonger. Can I have an amen? <clears throat> Boy, this is going to be rough this morning. I'm already telling you this. It's going to be bad. This coat and this crazy thing on that's my best friend and my worst enemy is about to kill me. <clears throat> Hold on just a minute. I'll be back right after this commercial. All right. Help us, Lord. All right. 
belonging to a church is vitally important for your spiritual well-being. But let me clarify something. <clears throat> when I say that you need to belong to a church, I'm not talking about just any church. You see, all across America this morning, <clears throat> there are people that are meeting in uh, people that are meeting in buildings that have steeples and pews and stained glass windows that are no more a church than Walmart's a church. You see, when you go hunting a church home, you have to be careful what kind of church that you want to become a home church. It's unbelievable what all out there is out there that calls itself a church. So I've been preaching over the last several Sundays that I've been able to preach on the in church. Now, if you'll notice the word in there, it's not I-N, it's I-N-N. When I tell you you need to go hunt you an in church, <clears throat> I'm not talking about going and finding you a church that's a swinging church, a hip church, uh, with a modern, a modern church, with a, a trendy church, with a cool pastor and contemporary music complete with fog machines and strobe lights. I'm not talking about <clears throat> that kind of a church. I am talking about an in church. You see, one of the things that we find as we move throughout the Bible is the fact that God portrays the church the, the function and the mission of a church in a variety of ways. And one of the ways that God purposes, set forth the purpose and the mission of His church is by looking at some of the, the ends that are mentioned in the Bible. The I-N-N, the ends that are mentioned in the Bible. Now the word in is only found five times in the Bible. But from, but from the mentions of the word in in the Bible, we kind of learn a little bit <coughs> about what is the purpose and the mission of the church. For instance, several weeks ago, we looked at the very first time in the Bible that we run into the word in. And it's back in the book of Genesis, chapter 42, and there in that text we find that the end is a place of revelation for the brethren. Revelation for the brethren. In other words, you and I find certain truths out as we go <coughs> to the end. We find some wonderful things out about the Christian life, about our heavenly Joseph as we frequent the in church. I tell you, when I got saved, I had very little knowledge of what had really just happened to me. But as I continued to go to the church, I began to find out, boy, God sure had some great things in store for me as a child of God. And I found that out at the end church. It was a place of revelation for the brethren. And then we found that second place. Remember last Sunday night, I preached on that thought about the inn is not only a place of revelation for the brethren, it is a place also of restoration for the backslidden. <clears throat> you know, sometimes, as God's people, we get out of sort with God, don't we? I mean, as sometimes as God's people, we begin to walk contrary to what is the will of God for our life. And it's there, it's there at the end that God steps in and confronts us about our disobedience and helps us to get back right with Him again. You know, I thank God for some of those heavenly confrontations that God has had for me at the end. I'm glad that God loved me so much that He would not let me continue on my journey down the path of my disobedience. And God confronted me about that. And God 
God help me to get that corrected and get right with God so that I can continue on in my journey with God. Thank God for the end, church. But now this morning we come to find a third thing out about the church. Not only is the church a place of revelation for the brethren and a place of restoration for the backslidden, but here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 10, we find that the end is a place of refuge for the broken. Refuge for the broken. Now let me just stop and read to you in Luke chapter 10 what the Bible says about this end. Look in verse number 30. And Jesus answering said, a certain man. Now can I just stop there? I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but when you go through the Gospel of Luke, oftentimes he talks about a certain man. And in and, and, and Luke chapter number 12, he talks about a certain man, a rich farmer. In Luke 16, he talked about a certain rich man who died and lifted up his eyes in hell. In Luke 14, he talked about a certain man that made a great supper and bathed many. All throughout the gospel of Luke, he mentions this certain man. Well, as we come to Luke chapter 10 and verse number 30, he talks about this certain man. And the Bible said that he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side, but a certain Samaritan, that's the hero of the story, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to and say the next word, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. The implication is, Take care of him there at the inn, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now I've got to stop and tell you, this has to be one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible, and it wraps itself really around four people. The first person that we meet is this man who left Jerusalem on his way down to Jericho. The second group is the priest, and the, or, or the, the second group would be the robbers and the thugs and the thieves that beat this man up and discarded his wounded body over into a ditch and left him there to die. They stripped him of all of his belongings and then threw him over in the ditch and left him there to die. The fourth, uh, the third group of people would be this priest and this Levite that came. And when they came to where he was, they saw him, but they passed by on the other side. And then the fourth person of the story, the hero of the story, is this good Samaritan who goes to where he is, gets down in the ditch and lifts him out, sets him on his beast and carries him to an inn and left him in the care of of the innkeeper. Now let me tell you something, this inn became vitally important to the recovery of this old boy who has been beat up and discarded and left half dead. Now let me tell you something again, this inn is a picture of the church. The church is not only a place of revelation for the brethren, it is not only a place of restoration for the backslidden, but bless your heart, the church is also a place of refuge for the broken. 
Boy, I'll tell you what. Can I play on that word refuge for just a moment? I looked up that word refuge, and some synonyms of the word refuge are these. A haven, a fortress, a hiding place, a protection, a sanctuary, a shelter, a safe place, a shield for the broken. Aren't you glad that when God saved you by His grace, that God gave you a haven, a fortress, a hiding place, a protection, a sanctuary, a shelter, a shield. Aren't you glad God had a good church for you when you got saved by His grace? When you and I become broken, and we are, when you and I become broken, and we do, I am glad that God has an inn for us by the roadside where we can go there and have our wounds healed up. I thought about this refuge for the broken. I don't know who sits among us this morning and your life has become one big broken mess. But I tell you what you need, bless your heart, you need a good church home that can help you to get back on the road and the journey of life once again. I'd like to say three things about that this morning, if I can briefly, and I, I know you about had all you can take already. But I want to say three things about this refuge for the broken. The first truth that we learn from this text is, number one, that men become broken on the road of life. Men become broken along the road of life. You know it's sad, but it's so sad, but it is so true that many times as you and I journey down the road of life, things happen to us that causes us to become broken. And, and I've taken point this morning, this old boy that we're told about here in verse number 30. While the Bible said that he left Jerusalem and he's on his way down to Jericho. Now I found this out this week, reading about this just a little bit, that that in elevation, Jerusalem is 3,000 feet higher. Jerusalem is built on a mountain. It's built on a hill. And Jericho is 3,000 foot lower in elevation than Jerusalem. It's also a 17-mile journey from the city of Jerusalem down to the city of Jericho. In our day, that trip could be made probably in 15 minutes or less. But in those days, in Bible days, they, it had to be, make, uh, had to be uh, taken only by foot or by beast. Many times during the year, during the rainy seasons, this, this trek from Jerusalem down to Jericho would become almost impassable. And it would take you through jagged edges and, and uh, cliffs and, and deep, dark caves. And I read along about this time of the Jesus was telling this story that Herod had laid off about 40,000 people who was working on his temple there in the city of Jerusalem. They had labored and now that temple was complete and all all those workers had been laid off. So we got 40,000 people that are out of work and many of those people resorted to thievery and uh, along this journey down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we're reading about a man in verse number 30 and I like the word that Dr. Luke uses or Jesus used here in this text to describe how what happened to him. The Bible said that he fell among thieves. That kind of indicates to me that he wasn't expecting that to happen. When he left
left Jerusalem on his way down to Jerusalem that morning, he wasn't looking for the thieves. He wasn't expecting for this to happen. It just happened upon him. Maybe I could say it like this. It was a thought that never entered into his mind as he left home that morning. Maybe he heard about other people that had been uh, assaulted on this journey. Maybe he'd read about it in Jerusalem Journal or heard about it on the nightly news, but he never thought it would happen to him. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as he made his way down that trek from Jerusalem down to Jericho, the thieves appeared. And by, by the time they got through with him, he found himself in a place that he thought he would never be. In the ditch of life, moaning and groaning, the buzzards circling ahead. He's beaten, he's battered, he's bruised, and he's bleeding. He's wounded and he's stripped of all of his belongings and he's left half dead. And as he lays there in that ditch, I mean thinking this would have never happened to him as the very life from his body seeps out of him. What a predicament that he finds himself in. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, maybe there's somebody sitting in that room this morning, in this church this morning, and you find yourself in a situation that you never thought you'd find yourself in. As you journey down the road of life, you find yourself beaten and battered and bruised and bloodied by uh, some situation that's cropped up in your life. Maybe one moment everything was fine and then something fell upon you. Out of nowhere it happened. A divorce, a bad decision, a catastrophe. And in a moment's notice, your life was turned upside down. In a moment's notice, everything familiar to you was taken away from you. And you find yourself this morning sitting in a place you never dreamed that you'd find yourself in, moaning and groaning, and you thinking your life will never, ever be the same. You know, men become broken on the road of life don't they? I don't know what situation you may find yourself in but maybe you find yourself in a broken situation and by the way we live in such an uncaring old world. Nobody seemingly cares for anybody much anymore. Just like this old Levite and just like this old priest that passed by went over there and saw him laying in the ditch and the Bible says they went by on the other side of the road. Maybe you don't find a lot of care. Maybe you think this morning no Nobody cares and nobody loves you. Oh, you could never be more wrong than you are, friend, because there is somebody who loves you even though you may have become broken on the road of life. Yes, number one, we find in this text that men are broken on the road of life. But next we find in this text that men are not only broken on the road of life, but men can be brought to the refuge of life. You see, here lays this old boy in this great big mess, but it looks like it's over for him. He's been beaten up, and now he's been passed up. Do you feel like that this morning? Do you feel like you've been beaten up? Do you feel like you've been passed up? Well, I got good news for you this morning. Because if you feel like this morning nobody cares for you, your life has become broken, your life has become one big gigantic mess, I got some good news for you. There are those who will beat you up, and there are those who will pass you up, but aren't you so glad there is always one who will pick you up? And his name 
is the Lord Jesus. He is pictured in this story as the good Samaritan. Listen, I'll tell you something. When Jesus started talking about a Samaritan or that audience that he was telling this story to, I'm telling you it was not like he was only pouring it on. He was rubbing it in because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Did you know something? One of the worst insults that could ever be hurled at a person back in the days of Jesus was for somebody to call them a Samaritan. I'm telling you, Samaritans were kind of half-breeds, half-Jews, half-Gentiles. And the Jews had absolutely no, no, no use for a Samaritan whatsoever. And then Jesus begins to talk about in verse number 32, verse 33, about this good Samaritan who was on, who came on his journey, and he came to where this old boy who had been beat up in life, he came to where he was. Can I say this? How many of y'all ever heard those old bounty commercials that come on TV? And they always say bounty is the quicker picker-upper. Have you ever heard that commercial before? Oh, I want to tell you where they got that at. They got that from the Lord Jesus. Because can I tell you something about him? He is the one who comes to where we are, broken along the journey of life, discarded out in the ditch of sin. Nobody can help us. Nobody cares about us. But aren't you glad there's one who came to where you were and he was on ditch patrol and he came to where you were and he picked you up and he sat you on his own beast and he carried you to the end. Boy, men are brought to the refuge of life. You know, there's two things, and I know i got to hurry, and I'm going to wrap this up in a moment, but can I say there's two things about the attitude of this good Samaritan there in verse 33 uh, that we're, maybe we're not told, but I think it's indicated here in the Bible. When he came to this old boy who had been discarded in the ditch, can I say this, number one, he was not indifferent to that man. He was not indifferent to, the, to that man that had become broken and beaten and bruised and bloody by the journey of life. Oh, can I say this morning, there is someone who cares. There's somebody who loves you. There's somebody who has a plan and a purpose for your life. There's somebody who desires uh, your fellowship. There's somebody that desires to have a relationship with you. There's somebody who loves you. There's somebody who cares and his name is Jesus. And he's not at all indifferent to the situation of your life this morning. How many times does the devil try to convince us that he don't care about us? How many times does the devil tap you on the shoulder and whisper in your ear, nobody cares, not even God cares about you. But I want to say the devil is a liar and the father of all lies because I want to tell you there is one who is not indifferent to your situation. There is one who cares and one who is concerned about you. He is not indifferent because the Bible said there in verse 33, he came to where he was. Aren't you glad that when we couldn't go to where he was, aren't you glad that he came to where we were. Amen. The Bible said he is not indifferent, but then notice in verse 33, he is not indignant to your situation. This old boy, in verse 33, this good Samaritan just didn't look at this guy laying over in the ditch and say, well, you should have known better than to come down through here to start with. You should have known what was going to happen if you made this journey. Why? Why? You're, you're just a reaping the consequences of your own decisions. 
You're reaping what you deserve. No, he didn't say any of that. He was not indignant. He was not angry about what had happened to this young man or angry at the young man because of what had happened to him. He doesn't say you're getting what you deserve. He didn't say you made your bed, now just lay in it, or in this case, maybe your ditch. You know what the Bible said? He came to him and he lifted him out of the pit. The songwriter said, from sinking sand, he lifted me. With tender hand, he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light. Oh, praise the Lord, he lifted me. Out of the miry clay, he picks us up with hands ever so tender and kind. He doesn't ask us what happened. He did This good Samaritan didn't look over at that guy and say, what in the world has happened to you? He didn't even care about what had happened as far as that was concerned. He had come to help. Thank God for our heavenly Samaritan, the Lord Jesus, who came to where we were and lifted us out. Buddy, I'll tell you what Jesus has done for so many. Jesus can do for you. He loves us and he cares for us. He knows all about us and yet he loves us. Thank God. The choir sings that song. He loved me. He knew me, but he loved me. Aren't you glad the Lord knows you, but he loves you? He knows the thoughts. He knows what you've done. He knows what you've said. He knows what you've, uh, the, uh, the words that you've spoken he understands all of that but in spite of all that he loves you anyway amen thank God for our good Samaritan our good Savior men are broken on the road of life men are brought to the refuge of life but can I show you what happened look at verse 34 and verse number 35 men are blessed in the recovery of life what he do look at verse number 34 he went to him bound up his wounds he poured in the oil and the wine the wine represents the precious blood. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. Set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Boy, aren't you glad that God didn't leave you to yourself? He just didn't lift you out of the ditch and bind you up and say, all right now, continue on your journey. Aren't you glad God had a good end? I can't even begin to tell you what this end has meant to me in my, in my journey of life. I can't tell you many times, and I'm, I'm not asking for sympathy, but many times you get beat up along the journey of life. Many times you get broken along the journey of life, but aren't you glad you got a good end? Aren't you glad you got a refuge, a sanctuary? Aren't you glad you, glad you got a place of protection? Aren't you glad you got a place where people love you and care for you? Aren't you glad you got a place where you can come to and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit of God? The choir can jump up and sing a little bit. And the, uh, some special can soloist or trio or quartet or whatever can jump up, begin to sing a little bit. And first thing you know, a little bit of joy begins to seep back in your heart again. Well, I'm glad I got an end, friend. I'm glad I got a place I can come to and feel the presence of God. I thank God for the end because it's there that I'm blessed in the recovery of the brokenness of life. I found a good refuge there at the end. Well, I thank God for the end. Thank God for my church. Everybody needs a church home. These last 26 years of my life, I've never had to get out of bed on Sunday morning saying, where am I going to go to church at today? I'm glad I got a good church home. You say, preacher, your church is not perfect. You're exactly right. You say, preacher, there's, there's people in your church that can't get along. You know something? You're right. 
You say, preacher, there's people in your church that are hypocrites. They go out here and do this or that, and they talk like this, or they drink that. You know something? You are exactly right. But our church at its worst is better than the world at its best. Say that with me. Our church at its worst is better than the world at its best. I'm glad I got a good church home. We may not all cross our T's and dot our I's. Not everybody in here is what they say they are, and I get all that, but I sure am glad I got a place to come worship. Sure am glad I got some good people that love me and pray for me. I'm glad I got an end. I'm glad he brought me to an end, a place of refuge for the broken. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray this morning.